0: section one of the memorable thoughts of socrates by xenophon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by b Tuton. the memorable thoughts of socrates by xenophon translated by edward Bishi book one chapter one socrates not a contemner of the gods of his country nor an introducer of new ones i have often wondered by what show of argument the accusers of socrates could persuade the athenians he had forfeited his life to the state for though the crimes laid under his charge were indeed great that he did not acknowledge the gods of the republic that he introduced new ones and farther had debauched the youth yet none of these could in the least be proved against him for as to the first that he did not worship the deities which the republic adored How could this be made out against him, since instead of paying no homage to the gods of his country, he was frequently seen to assist in sacrificing to them, both in his own family and in the public temples, perpetually worshipping them in the most public, solemn, and religious manner? What, in my opinion, gave his accusers a specious pretext for alleging against him that he introduced new deities was this, that he had frequently declared in public he had received counsel from a divine voice which he called his demon— but this was no proof at all of the matter. All that Socrates advanced about his demon was no more than what is daily advanced by those who believe in and practice divination. And if Socrates, because he said he received intelligence from his genius, must be accused of introducing new divinities, so also must they. for it is not certain that those who believe in divination and practice that belief do observe the flight of birds, consult the entrails of victims, and remark even unexpected words and accidental occurrences? But they do not therefore believe that either the birds whose flight they observe, or the persons that they meet accidentally, know either their good or ill fortune, neither did Socrates. They only believe that the gods make use of these things to presage the future, and such too was the belief of Socrates. The vulgar, indeed, imagine it to be the very birds and things which present themselves to them that excite them to what is good for them, or make them avoid what may hurt them, But as for Socrates, he freely owned that a demon was his monitor, and he frequently told his friends beforehand what they should do or not do according to the instructions he had received from his demon. And they who believed him and followed his advice always found advantage by it, as, on the contrary, they who neglected his admonitions never failed to repent their incredulity. Now it cannot be denied but that he ought to have taken care not to pass with his friends either for a liar or a visionary. And yet, how could he avoid incurring that censure if the events had not justified the truth of the things he pretended were revealed to him? It is therefore manifest that he would not have spoken of things to come if he had not believed he said true. But how could he believe he said true unless he believed that the gods, who alone ought to be trusted for the knowledge of things to come, gave him notice of them? And if he believed they did so, how can it be said that he acknowledged no gods?" He likewise advised his friends to do, in the best manner they could, the things that of necessity they were to do. But, as to those whose events were doubtful, he sent them to the oracles to know whether they should engage in them or not. And he thought that they who designed to govern with success their families or whole cities had great need of receiving instructions by the help of divinations. For though he indeed held that every man may make choice of the condition of life in which he desires to live, and that by his industry he may render himself excellent in it, whether he apply himself to architecture or to agriculture, whether he throw himself into politics or economy, whether he engage himself in the public revenues or in the army, yet that in all these things the gods have reserved to themselves the most important events, into which men of themselves can in no wise penetrate. Thus he who makes a fine plantation of trees knows not who shall gather the fruit. He who builds a house cannot tell who shall inhabit it. A general is not certain that he shall be successful in his command, nor a minister of state in his ministry. He who marries a beautiful woman in hopes of being happy with her knows not but that even she herself may be the cause of all his uneasinesses. And he who enters into a grand alliance is uncertain whether they with whom he allies himself will not at length be the cause of his ruin. This made him frequently say that it is a great folly to imagine there is not a divine providence that presides over these things, and that they can in the least depend on human prudence. He likewise held it to be a weakness to importune the gods with questions which we may resolve ourselves. As if we should ask them whether it be better to take a coachman who knows how to drive than one who knows nothing of the matter, whether it be more eligible to take an experienced pilot than one who is ignorant. In a word, he counted it as a kind of impiety to consult the oracles concerning what might be numbered or weighed, because we ought to learn the things which the gods have been pleased to capacitate us to know, but that we ought to have recourse to the oracles to be instructed in those that surpass our knowledge because the gods are wont to discover them to such men as have rendered them propitious to themselves. Socrates stayed seldom at home. In the morning he went to the places appointed for walking and public exercises. He never failed to be at the hall or courts of justice at the usual hour of assembling there, and the rest of the day he was at the places where the greatest companies generally met. There it was that he discoursed for the most part, and whoever would hear him easily might and yet no man ever observed the least impiety either in his actions or his words. Nor did he amuse himself to reason the secrets of nature, or to search into the manner of the creation of what the sophists call the world, nor to dive into the cause of the motions of the celestial bodies. On the contrary, he exposed the folly of such as give themselves up to these contemplations, and he asked whether it was, after having acquired a perfect knowledge of human things, that they undertook to search into the divine, or if they thought themselves very wise in neglecting what concerned them, to employ themselves in things above them. He was astonished likewise that they did not see it was impossible for men to comprehend anything of all these wonders, seeing they who have the reputation of being most knowing in them, are of quite different opinions, and can agree no better than so many fools and madmen. For as some of these are not afraid of the most dangerous and frightful accidents, while others are in dread of what is not to be feared so too among those philosophers some are of opinion that there is no action but what may be done in public nor word that may not freely be spoken before the whole world while others on the contrary believe that we ought to avoid the conversation of men and keep in a perpetual solitude some have despised the temples and the altars and have taught not to honour the gods while others have been so superstitious as to worship wood stones and irrational creatures. And as to the knowledge of natural things, some have confessed but one only being, others have admitted an infinite number, some have believed that all things are in a perpetual motion, others that nothing moves. Some have held the world to be full of continual generations and corruptions, others maintain that nothing is engendered or destroyed he said besides that he should be glad to know of those persons whether they were in hopes one day to put in practice what they learned as men who know an art may practice it when they please either for their own advantage or for the service of their friends or whether they did imagine that after they found out the causes of all things that happen they should be able to cause winds and rains and to dispose the times and seasons as they had occasion for them or whether they contented themselves with the bare knowledge without expecting any farther advantage. This was what he said of those who delight in such studies. As for his part, he meditated chiefly on what is useful and proper for man, and took delight to argue of piety and impiety, of honesty and dishonesty, of justice and injustice, of wisdom and folly, of courage and cowardice, of the state and of the qualifications of a minister of state, of the government and of those who are fit to govern in short he enlarged on the like subjects which it becomes men of condition to know and of which none but slaves should be ignorant it is not strange perhaps that the judges of socrates mistook his opinion in things concerning which he did not explain himself but i am surprised that they did not reflect on what he had said and done in the face of the whole world for when he was one of the senate and had taken the usual oath exactly to observe the laws being in his turn vested with the dignity of epistate he bravely withstood the populace who against all manner of reason demanded that the nine captains two of whom were a and Thrasyllus, should be put to death he would never give consent to this injustice and was not daunted at the rage of the people nor at the menaces of the men in power "'choosing rather not to violate the oath he had taken "'than to yield to the violence of the multitude "'and shelter himself from the vengeance "'of those who threatened him. "'To this purpose he said that the gods watch over men "'more attentively than the vulgar imagine, "'for they believe there are some things "'which the gods observe "'and others which they pass by unregarded. "'But he held that the gods observe "'all our actions and all our words, "'that they penetrate even into our most secret thoughts, "'that they are present at all our deliberations,' and that they inspire us in all our affairs. It is astonishing, therefore, to consider how the Athenians could suffer themselves to be persuaded that Socrates entertained any unworthy thoughts of the deity, he who never let slip one single word against the respect due to the gods, nor was ever guilty of any action that savored in the least of impiety, but who, on the contrary, has done and said things that could not proceed but from a mind truly pious, and that are sufficient to gain a man an eternal reputation of piety and virtue. End of section 1. Recording by B. Tutin.